All right, it's so good to see you this morning. We are in the final session together in this series that we've been in for, well, this will be our sixth week. And if you are a guest, every one of these is a standalone message, but they have been building on each other as we've been looking through the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Today is the secret of contentment, learning how to live in the overflow that God gives us. The secret of contentment. Now, I don't know, how many of you noticed that perhaps uh, America is becoming less content, a little more discontented? Does it seem that to you? Uh, Those of you who raised your hand, you're not the only ones who've noticed that Americans are more discontented now than in the past, and so there have been a number of studies that are being conducted to try to figure out what in the world is going on. And why is it that although we as a nation have so much uh, going for us, you know, wealth and security and great things, why is it that in a happiness index study that's done across the globe that other nations are rising above us and we are dropping? What is that? What's happening? So there are some articles that are written about that with some ideas because it's complex. There's many things. I'm just took a few snippets to kind of put in front of us a little bit. Is it the rising costs of essential goods and services? Is it the growing political distrust and polarization? Is it the eroding trust in authority, whether government leaders or corporations or news media or even church leaders? Is it the growing health crisis and the growing mental health crisis? Even though we score so high, In the economic index, with more wealth per capita, America does not score well on the happiness index for so many reasons. Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) That just sounds like bad news. And we're not here to be sharing bad news and focusing on bad news. We have good news today. We need to learn the secret of contentment. And so there's great news that we need to get a hold of. And so we can learn the secret of contentment. Paul explained uh, this secret of contentment in his letter to the Philippians. We're going to be looking at just one small paragraph in that letter. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. That's where we're going to be. And I thought the best way to kind of get at that is um, to read... One verse, before I read that one verse, I I want to uh, highlight uh, kind of something unusual. Uh, This is an old Bible of mine. It was given to me uh, by my dad on my 17th birthday. It's an old New American Standard Bible. It was at that time and for through, through college even, uh, my favorite translation. And uh, it was given to me long, long ago in a, Galaxy far away. At least it seems like it. And about the same time that quote came to be popular um, when I turned 17. Now we're going to jump into the very last verse of this paragraph. And you don't normally start at the end to get at things, but we are today. Because it's kind of the clincher of his argument as it relates to what we're talking about today. When uh, Paul wrote... I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is in the New American Standard Bible, just in the same translation that 
I have it all marked up and it's kind of fun to look at and grab and reminisce a little bit. A little bit about me when I was 17 years old. I used to quote this verse. I used to quote this verse in, in the weight room. I was into weightlifting. And I used to quote this verse to psych myself up before attempting a max. If you're not a weightlifter, that's, you know, weight room language for you, to break your personal record on a particular weight in a particular exercise. And so I'd, I'd be on the bench and I'd be starting to get ready and I'd, I'd be thinking about this and I'd, in my mind and maybe even out loud, out loud in a whisper saying exactly this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, at age 17, I never asked myself this question, and so we're going to put this question on the screen. Here's the question. Does this verse really mean that through faith in Jesus I can do anything? That's how I was kind of quoting it. Okay, I'm going for this new max. So as long as I pump myself up and psych myself up in faith that through Jesus I can do this thing by faith in him, here we go. Now, if I really believe that, why not just stack on a, another extra 45 on one side, another extra 45 on the other side, and go for the school record instead of a personal record? Why not that? That would be kind of fun. Actually, it would be even more fun go to the rec room this afternoon if I believe that. And why not read the headlines? Preacher at age 63. <laughs> breaks the world record. Wouldn't that be cool? And God would get all the glory and honor. Somehow, I think this verse is not talking about that. So I, I, I wonder, really, what this is getting at. Now, I, it's, it's true. I do believe that God can do all things, even through me, if I trust him and believe in him. But I don't think... He does anything I can think up. He does what he wants when I'm attempting to serve him well as I trust in him. And so we got to figure out what is going on with this verse about all things. And so I, here's a little video. Can you start it all over again? I did a little screenshot of the version Bible app. And if you realize you can po poke a verse you get the compare, you can pick which translations you want to compare it with, and you can kind of do all the comparisons and go back down and, and pick the one you want, and we'll get back there in a second as we're studying this together. Yeah, wow, it means this and this. I'm going too fast for you, I know. I'm just trying to show you how privileged we are that we can have this for free, okay? And now we got the verse that we can highlight, poke it again, highlight it. I want it yellow, Great, there it is. So in your Bible, now when I was 17, all I had was the New American Standard. I think at that time, I didn't even know the NIV existed, and they had very few English translations. And so you, you just assume that the way it's translated is what it is, but now we have translation after translation after translation, scholarly translations that we have available in our phones if we'll load the YouVersion Bible app, and you don't have to be a scholar, and you can just pick, and if you want to know which good translations to pick, you know, talk to somebody that's studied it a bit, and just start with these five, you, and that'll be helpful. And look at those. And every time you come into a puzzle, just hit the verse, look at all those, you go, oh, 
So here's an example, and I highlighted it for you. In comparison, we're gonna be looking at the NIV. It doesn't say all things, it says this. All this, which immediately brings to your mind all this what, rather than all things. All things is so wide, it's like anything you can think of. As long as you can think of it and believe that God can do it, go for it. Is that what this is talking about? I'm suggesting that there's a context that goes with this verse. What is context? Okay, context is you don't lift a sound bite out of the video and then say, this guy said this, unless you see the sound, how the sound bite fits within the context of the paragraph. He may be actually quoting that little bite to say precisely the opposite. Don't do this. Don't say this. But if you take the right sound bite, boy, you got the right news media or the right whatever. They can really mess up the guy to make everybody believe he's saying the opposite or whatever. You can do the same kind of thing while you're studying the Bible too. If you just clip a little word without context, you might take it to mean something different than what the writer wants you to think it means. So what is context? Context is how a word fits in a sentence, how the sentence fits in a paragraph, how the paragraph fits in the letter, how the letter fits in the larger context historically and culturally and that it fits the rest of the Bible, okay? So here's the important biblical study truel. Truel. Go ahead, yeah, laugh at me. Let's trade spots, <laughs> all right? Bible study tool. Context controls the meaning of words, okay? It sets a control on words. How is this word used in this sentence, in this paragraph, and what is he talking about? The reason why this is so important is because Paul will say, whatever and all and all that, these big words that thinks that seems like it's talking about every possible scenario I can think of, but the context controls it down to no, he's describing something a little bit narrower than we recognize. Okay, so that's all that to get us started. Let's take a look at the paragraph together. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Let's see if we can decide how, what the this is. What is the this? I can do all this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Quick context, if you've been with us, Paul is in chains. He's under Roman imprisonment. The Philippians are a church that he started in Philippi, Greece. And they finally got wind of this, and they're sending him some assistance and some help and some people and some support. And he's really excited about that, but he's also putting a qualifier. And here's the qualifier. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Man, so it's not about breaking the world record in weightlifting. All right, so there's a context here that, we, that controls the meaning of a very favorite verse that a lot of people quote, I did too, 
And we stretch it out of the context and we start quoting in ways that maybe Paul never had in mind. And so that's an important starting point for us. Now, Paul is talking about the secret of contentment. So, this verse does not mean that through faith in Jesus I can do anything I can imagine. It means contentment is the result of trusting in Christ's sufficiency to meet your deepest needs regardless of your circumstances. I'll say that again. Contentment is the result of trusting in Christ's sufficiency to meet your deepest needs regardless of your circumstances. All right. So what's the secret? Point number one, the secret of contentment is trust. We need to talk about this a little further. The secret of contentment is trust. Another feature that you might discover if you want to try that U version comparison thing, you, if you look at enough verses, you'll see it. The Greek word that Paul uses for contentment uh, technically can be translated, it can be translated content, self-sufficient, satisfied. Now, in our English, I don't think of self-sufficient as synonymous with the word contentment. I think of peace and feeling happy and content and everything's ooh la la. I don't think of self-sufficient as part of the verbiage. But it's part of the Greek word and what's interesting about this, and I want to just go through this quickly because we'll get in the weeds into areas that I don't even understand all that great. But Paul uses two words that were very familiar to Greek minds and they got a hold of this quickly. They were in Greek minds, he's using two code words or keywords that the Stoic philosophers, which were Greek philosophers, used frequently about how to be content. He uses the word secret, which is like the word for, you can learn the secret and be an initiate in a Stoic philosophy where you've learned this secret, where you can be stoically content regardless of what's happening. He used the word secret, and he used the word contentment, which has got this self-sufficient content, satisfied. And a Stoic version of this is completely different than a Christian version of this, and that's what Paul is doing. He's teaching Greek thinkers about Stoic contentment and turning it on its head. You call that self-sufficiency like that's adequate? No, let me describe adequacy to you. It's the all-sufficiency of Christ, not self-sufficiency. And once you turn that on its head, new converts and believers who begin to trust that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he has all sufficiency to bring you joy and lasting peace and happiness and answers to prayer. He's got your back and he's sovereign. He's got a plan. Once you understand this, the all sufficiency of Christ brings a contentment if you focus there and can trust there. So... This is really important stuff. What he is doing is flipping the Greek philosophy on its head. Okay? Point number two. Contentment does not come from circumstances. By the way, American philosophy needs to be flipped on its head as well. Not just Greek philosophy. 
we look for contentment in all the wrong ways also. We hear all kinds of secrets of contentment that aren't trusting in Christ's all-sufficiency through thick and thin to carry you through, to make it, give you a peace that's beyond circumstances. So we've got to figure out how to learn this as well. Point number two, contentment does not come from circumstances. Verse 11, we already read it, but here it is again. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That's pretty broad, but we're going to have to look at context again. We will a little bit. In fact, what does he mean by whatever the circumstances? Which circumstances? In the very next line, he begins to describe the circumstances he has in mind. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Okay? So, kind of jumping on what he's just said there, let's just talk about this kind of contentment. Can you buy this kind of contentment with money? No. Can you get a hold of this kind of contentment with pills or a bottle? No. Can you get this kind of contentment with... uh, Well, let's just leave it there for now. (laughs) Kind of covered both. I have three bullets that I covered in two. I'm pretty good at it. Wow. All right. Point number three. This kind of contentment is learned. This kind of contentment is learned. All right? So let's take a look at verse 11 through 13 again, highlighting just a few of the phrases. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances... I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So what is it that Paul learned? Now here we can zoom back from um, just this little paragraph, and we've been in this six weeks together. We could just kind of reminisce just from this letter some of the things that he has learned. So right away we learned that Paul was criticized in chapter 1, yet he was content. And then we learned later on that he was in chains, yet he's content. We learned that he was often hungry, yet he's content. We learned that uh, he might be executed. He wasn't sure if that's what's going to happen, and yet he's filled with joy and telling everybody to rejoice, and he's really happy about what's taking place. He's content because, strangely enough, through all these unexpected, terrible things that we'd say is terrible, terrible, he's kind of excited about what God is doing that he's learning about. The whole Praetorian Guard is one by one, a captive audience. They thought he was the captive, they're chained to him, and he preaches. And one by one, these guards are learning this contentment, this joy, this contagious thing, and they're spreading it through the whole Praetorian Guard. Pretty soon, all of Caesar's household is getting a grip on this. Take a look at how the letter ends. It's almost like irony or humor. He says, Caesar's whole household has come to know the gospel. It's like God is using these circumstances way beyond Paul's hopes and expectations. He used to pray, take me to Rome. I'm going to take the gospel all the way to Rome. And then God gives him a all expenses paid trip while he's arrested and brought to Rome and the gospel just gets planted in all kinds of ways he never expected. He says, this is amazing. I would have never imagined this. But Christ is making it work in a way that's way better than I could have orchestrated. In fact, the whole church is way stronger now watching me suffer this and finding great joy and seeing what God is doing. They're ready to suffer too. Go God. So this is just a a wild, wild way of looking at 
flipping on its head the idea that I've got what it takes, Paul says, I don't have what it takes. I've learned the secret that Christ has everything. He's all sufficient in this. All I gotta do is trust him for this day. Trust him for this day. Win the day, watch what he does next. Oh no, how he keeps building it one little bit at a time as I just keep trusting his all sufficiency. And that's what he's describing here. Have you learned to live in this kind of contented trust? If you haven't lived, learned to live in this kind of contented trust, okay, let me raise my hand. <laughs> I haven't learned as if past tense, I've got this. I finally got this. I really got this. I am learning it. Sometimes I have it, and sometimes, oops, I'm not having it. I'm kind of having this, uh, I started getting in this little pity party about my little chains or my little criticisms or my little stuff, and I'm starting to go down the smoke again. And when you breathe in the smoke, you kind of get sick with the smoke that the enemy gets to you with. And when you start breathing that stuff, it's like the contentment disappears. It's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I got to remember Christ has got this in ways that I don't even know how he's got this, but I can trust him right now and be content. You want to get past that fickle contentment based on circumstances? Get more solid on your personal walk with Jesus every day. And then it's going to be more consistent. And when you start going discontent again, you can remember, oh, oh, oh that's right, I can, I can be content. I can be content in the middle of this awful circumstance because Christ is all-sufficient. I'm going to go to him again and worship him again and start focusing on his bigness again because as I focus on the problem and it gets real big in my mind, in a sense, that's grown bigger in my mind than Christ has Stop focusing there. It's real small. When you see how big Jesus is, all sufficient he is to help you meet your need there. So, a question similar to the other question. Are we supposed to be content about everything? The words... Whatever the circumstance, the words in any and every situation make it sound like we should be content about everything. So I was pondering this question, are we supposed to be content about everything? While I was in my regular routine, a habit I love when I can fit it in, I try to fit it in as many times as I can, my early morning desert walks, just to, again, focus on the bigness of God and on and on. So uh, in the prayer time, I'm also focusing on this question. Are we supposed to be content about everything? And while I'm focusing on this question, inside my mind, I'm mulling over the answer. And while I'm mulling over the answer, my foot begins to hurt like a real sharp pain. And it's, it's, it's a growing irritation, and I'm still walking. It's like, ah. And then as I'm thinking about this question, then I realize this is part of the answer. I take off my shoe pull my sock down. This is the desert. It, one of those real sharp, pokey things that I don't know the name for, that's real tiny, poked down into my shoe, through my sock, and it's just growing in irritation on my foot. If I just kept walking, it's going to be a problem. Now, I could say I'm supposed to be content in any and every situation, just keep walking. 
If you don't understand context and how context controls meaning, that's what you're going to try to do to please God. Hello? There's something called holy contentment. Yes. But there's also something called holy discontentment. Moral of the story. When the sticker is in your sock or the sin is in your soul, don't be content with that. Stop. Take off your sock and get rid of that sticker. He's shown you how. When the sin is in your soul, so many Americans are just content with that sin. Instead of stopping and dealing with, they don't have holy discontentment. Now, I said so many Americans. Let me just say so many American believers are totally content with an American lifestyle. And they're wondering why they're struggling with their contentment. Because our culture is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. And until we understand how to live on a different plane and aim for the contentment that comes from the all-sufficiency of Jesus, we're going to just continue to feel a lot of pain and discontentment and walk on like, it's okay, it's okay, this world is really bad. There are things we can do where we are seeing some sources be removed. That's just one example of things that we can be discontent over. To prove that this concept is true, just from Philippians, let me just show you. It's not hard to prove. Paul was not content with division in the church. Wait, I thought you said be content in any and every situation. He is totally not content in, in cha- throughout the letter. Find it chapter one, chapter two. He's pretty strong. He is not content with those false teachers in chapter three. He is not content with any believer living as if they are enemies of the cross, also chapter 3. He is not content to sit back passively in his race, taking it easy. That was also in chapter 3. There's a lot of things he's not content with. So when we're talking about being content in every circumstance, in any and every situation, again, context dictates what kind of thing that he is talking about. Context always controls the meaning of how an author is using words. And sometimes we're pretty blind to that. And I just want to highlight that important study technique that we need to get a hold of. The secret of contentment Paul learned is to trust in the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ for the overflowing provision and blessing that he provides. So, just as a kind of a review of where we've been, even in this whole overflow series, we've seen the word rejoice eight times. And he'll often say, and I'll say it again, rejoice. What are we rejoicing in? We're rejoicing in the good news of the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ to save us to equip us, to give us everything we need to be able to be successful at shining bright in a very dark world, whether we're in chains or not in chains, whether we're in need or not in need. Whatever those situations are, he will give us precisely what we need to shine and bloom 
where we're planted, right? He's taught us how to experience peace. And we focused on that last Sunday. And you can continue to strain forward. There's a straining and an effort involved. There's things to be discontent with, moving away from, taking steps from where you are to where God wants you to be. And yes, it's a battle. Yes, it's hard. But you can still rejoice. You can still experience peace. You can still experience deep and abiding contentment in an intimate and real relationship with the real Christ, the real Son of God, who is the real God, who is able to give us more than we can ask or imagine according to His will and His purposes. Right? How does He do this? He does this when we look to him in trust, it's through Jesus who gives you strength. Trust him, walk with him, follow him, love him, lean upon him. So to wrap everything up, what is overflow? Well, it's a lot of things. But it's Jesus saying to us, because of what I've done for you and because of what I've prayed before the Father, he has taken my offering of sacrifice, which was my whole body, my whole self, serving you, absorbing your sin, dying on a cross, so that those sins could be taken away. Not only do I take your sins away, you've been washed clean, but because of what I've done, I'm able to fill you with my life, through my spirit, through the washing of regeneration, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit through Jesus' sacrifice so that you can live a life that is empowered and strengthened so that all things that God wants you to be able to do to bring glory and honor to his name in your mission field, around your relationships, in your family, and across this valley that he can accomplish through you. It's his written will. We're not guessing. You can bring in glory and honor. He will give you everything you need. You just need to trust him more. Trust him more and take these steps straining forward to live for him more. And that is a whole different level of contentment and joy than America knows what to do with, than any stoic philosopher knew what to do with. It's like, whoa, what? And these young Greek believers got it. And we who are young believers, we need to get it too. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the beauty and power of what you have given us in the words penned by a humble servant in dire circumstances, overflowing with your blessing, blessing us so, and showing us that we can rejoice, we can experience peace, we can experience love, we can experience the gifts that you give, that love, that joy, that peace, and live it out to such a degree that people want to know, what is it about you?
Help us to be like that. Where Paul says, whatever you've learned and heard and received from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, we want you, we want contentment, we want to honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we have a prayer team that's there ready to pray for some of those areas that challenge your contentment. I have them, you have them, and you can receive prayer that will help. Next week, we start a new series out of the Gospel of John I'm really excited about. I'll tell you about it next week. It's claims of Jesus that are so powerful and profound, you don't want to miss them. God bless you. We'll see you next week.